0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from True Story FM.
1: And I'm Pete Wright from the
0: Next Real Film Podcast. (laughs) Today, we are talking about Minute 10, which begins with 4F and ends with S.H.I.E.L.D. Mark 1. Joining us on the show, sadly, the last time this week, we have Curtis Findlay from the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, Curtis. Hi, uh, it is sad. This time has just flown by. It goes so fast. It really does. Um, I want to end this uh, uh, this week. I want to talk to you about your favorite Captain America moment. Do you have a favorite moment from, it could be from the movies or the comics, uh, what would stand out to you as the the thing that you love the most about this character? Wow. So... I will have to say,
2: so I'm Canadian uh, and I, so I don't have the same, you know, connection, I guess, the the patriotic connection to the character as many Americans would identify with. Um, Captain Canuck just doesn't, also doesn't hold the same candle. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't do anything for me. Um, but not not to say that Captain America is a, a bad character or anything he's great i just um i haven't followed a lot of his comics as closely just because it's like mm, so much american american you know it's a lot in there yeah <laughs> it's a lot it's a yeah. lot <laughs> um but i will say that these movies did a great job of making him an accessible character for me and uh and i absolutely loved watching him because it, so in the last episode i know we said that the The minute that we watch kind of defined all of his actions over the course of these movies, but he still gets a character arc over the course of everything from First Avenger all the way to Infinity War, and the moment when I don't know if this is too on the nose, but the moment when he picks this, this is a big spoiler alert for everybody <laughs> the moment he picks up Thor's hammer. And it's like, this is the realization of everything we've been working toward from the very beginning when he's trying to show the, 4, the 4F Doctor that he's worthy to the point where he picks up the hammer and he has God status. Like, this is, what an incredible journey for Captain America over the course of these movies.
0: Absolutely. It is a powerful powerful moment and you know i mean you can see it in thor's face when he when he recognizes it right that he knew it i mean it it plays so powerfully and it is a really great journey for him to take over the course of the films so that's a great moment
1: yeah i i have an extended question can i ask an extended question yeah uh i I'm, this movie uh is you know it leans in pretty hard on origin story status right i mean this is this is sort of the 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 pinnacle of origin story in phase one right even though we had tony but it's all takes place in the same time we have you know we have we've had hulk and we've hulk seen and all thor, of that yeah. we've had we met thor even though it, it was less an origin story than a than a here we are in thor's life um this one actually as a framing mechanism is going back in time and and showing us an origin story, I am curious from the comic book perspective, maybe less about Captain America and more about adaptations. What is your favorite origin story across the MCU, going back as far as you need to go in the comics?
2: Um, oh, so origin story in the MCU or the MU, like specifically movies or in the comics?
1: Well, specifically to these to these movies, since we're you know ostensibly living in the MCU from the theatrical side.
2: Uh I might have to say Doctor Strange is my favorite. because hmm. uh, I just love that movie in general and I thought his his um his origin story about being like his fall from grace and having to pull himself out of the gutter is just a a great story. Uh it's a, the opposite kind of the, from Steve Rogers who is already in the gutter and has to crawl his way out. Um I, I just thought, I thought that that's probably my favorite origin story. And they, they take a lot of liberties with it uh, from the comics,
1: but also at the same time, it is still actually very faithful. So they did a good job. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm most curious about is just the level of fidelity that they take to the source material to actually deliver a, a solid movie experience. That's interesting.
2: It's hard because we'll be, a lot of we'll these... We'll be
1: getting there in about 25 <laughs> years. So
2: <laughs> A lot of these stories, though, are like, you know, they're just 15 pages or less, of comic yeah. books, yeah, and yeah. so it's like if you had 15 pages of prose, you could fit a lot more information in there. But we have 15 pages of comics, and so like Spider-Man's origin, um, Captain America, Doctor Strange, all of those—they don't actually give us a lot. It's just—it's actually an exercise in how to tell a very concise story in a, a very little amount of time and, and space, and they—they they do a great job. And then when you're blowing that up to an hour and a half or a two-hour movie. Yeah, it's not going to be exactly the same. It's impossible. Otherwise, you'd spend the first 10 minutes on the origin and have to move on to something else.
1: Right, right.
0: Well, and plus as you pointed out, you know, these are all of these films largely are made decades after those origin stories, and so they've had to update them in so many other ways. Anyway, to just kind of figure out how 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 can we take Tony from the period where he was, you know, a war profiteer back in in the Korean War and (laughs) Korea and Vietnam and all that all the way up to, okay now he's just, you know, a war profiteer now. And like it's an easier thing. But still, they're they're having to find ways to adapt them all, except for this one,
1: which is pretty interesting still. Okay, let's (laughs) dig into the minute. Yeah, so we
0: start this minute, uh, you know, this is the end of the conversation that uh, Steve is having with the 4F doctor as, uh, you know, Steve's asking him, can you do anything? He's like, hey, I'm doing it, buddy. I'm saving you, son. And he stamps that big 4F. And that is, um, you know, the rejection that Steve was hoping to avoid. Um and, and, you know, what I love about this next scene, we go to a movie theater in New York City. Um, it actually was the Hackney Empire Theater in London, where they were filming this because this film was shot over there. Uh, what I love about this is that, uh, you know, Steve goes to the movies to console himself. What did you two think of this, uh, this transition going from this, the, the end of Steve's attempt, his fourth attempt to get into the army to the movie theater?
1: I feel like this is a totally believable uh, salve to his emotional bruising. <laughs> if you're sitting in a movie theater watching a movie about this, you're already movie people. And you probably know that when you get real depressed, you're going to go to a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so that felt right in alignment with with uh, with me, again, a, a deeply believable character. It, it was a perfect setup as well.
0: Yeah, a perfect setup. And the, and the thing about it that that works so effectively is that, you know, movie theaters at this time, they played these newsreels. And what a great way to get exposition out and to kind of help continue defining this character than by using the newsreel trope. You know, Steve's sitting here, he's watching the newsreel, and it's stories of the war. Wherever he goes, he can't get away from this. And we have, even Timmy is doing his part as the little kid who's who's helping collect scrap metal, and Steve is left unable to do anything. And it's I, I just thought it was a great... Night knife twist that they were doing to steve right here even timmy gets a nod from voiceover guy way to go (laughs) timmy Uh, what's great about it though is is it's it's this newsreel and we're getting this kind of like knife twist with with steve but at the same time it's giving us a sense of what this means to the people in the country right now And uh, it's it's effective because we see the reactions of so many of the faces watching this. There's the there's the woman there who, um, you know, let me just read this from the script. I like how they characterize this. A young woman watches the screen tears welling. She clearly has a man overseas across the aisle. A middle aged Jewish Jewish couple looks somber. What do you think about kind of the way that they set this all up?
1: Do you do we know just a, a quick side question? Do we know if this newsreel was legit?
0: There's a credit at the end... Uh, where they're uh, thanking, I think it's the University of Minnesota that has a large um, archive. And also, I mean, geez, you can just go to the National Archives and you could look at all sorts of newsreels from World War II. Yeah. My sense of this, I was trying to see, is this actually pulled from like a real newsreel? My hunch is they found some kind of generic footage that they could use to kind of craft their script. Yeah. And then that they, they rescripted it with a modern voiceover. Yeah. Um, that was kind of my my sense of it. It looks like authentic. Newsreel footage. Nothing. Sure looked, you can nice. always
1: generally tell the recreated stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timmy even looks very authentic. <laughs> even little Timmy. I, I thought it looked great, and I, I thought the setup was yet again. You you mentioned getting exposition out of the way, but it's a very quick character nod, as he's the one who keeps yelling sh- who yells, "Show some respect to the thug who wants to show the movie already." First of all, thug. Why would you go to a movie expecting anything else but a newsreel at this time in history? There's always newsreels. You know it's newsreels. Show up 10 minutes late if you really want to get to the movie, dummy. Um, well, he wants to get to the cartoon. He, he wanted to get to the cartoon. <laughs> he wanted the cartoon.
2: So, but even um, still, at that I'm, time, the cartoons would have been all war-related as well. If it was showing a Bugs Bunny cartoon, right, it would be a war, a wartime Bugs Bunny.
1: Right, right. <laughs> uh so i you know I felt like that was great, but we also do get the sense of environmental like cultural uh weariness with the war yeah. and 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 sadness in such a quick and efficient little sequence um i I thought it worked very very well
2: what i What I like about this sequence is that it is telling the newsreel is telling Steve what he can do at home what he like he can still be a hero by saving his scrap metal or whatever. But that doesn't satisfy Steve. He needs to do more. And just the act of him standing up to the loud jerk in the theater
0: shows that he's not going to settle with just scrap metal. Speaking to kind of what we got out of Steve in last minute, uh, as far as his character and what the movie was saying about it, this is another opportunity to have this moment where we're getting this character who wants people to show respect for the, I mean the country, but really also for these people who are sacrificing their lives, these soldiers who are willing to commit to fighting, uh, you know, Nazism and and, uh, kind of going overseas, but putting their lives at risk. I I think it shows a lot of kind of that, that sense of Steve. I, I love the way that these little things that we keep getting in this film Are telling us this is this character and i I, i'm i love those bits because i mean you look at the comics and yeah i mean as you were saying earlier uh curtis like the comics they're very you know they're short they're very brief and so you get um a sense of steve rogers as a patriotic um weakling in the comics but it's very just brief (laughs) you don't even get that
2: he's a patriotic weakling in the comics because you only see him for the first time as he's being ushered in to be part of this experiment you get nothing before that about you
1: get none him. of the patriotic stuff
0: yeah so you don't get a sense of yeah. him beforehand yeah. that, that was all added that was all added later yeah and I, I, you do you'll they do that like in the later comics when they're kind yeah. of retroactively kind yeah. of creating some of that stuff but yeah at the very beginning you're right it's him coming in to do this test. So um, and what I love about that also is they really had a need back then to keep people's identities secret. So you had Steve Rogers running around as a soldier with Bucky, his little kid sidekick. <laughs> yeah. But then he would don his costume as a, as a superhero is very yeah.
2: funny. And he did the whole Clark <laughs> the Kent best. thing where he was
0: a bumbling uh, soldier. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. right. Why does, why does this Rogers always like getting knocked out or what? Yeah. <laughs> So funny!
1: It's really interesting, just exercise in, in efficiency too. You know, we we talk about how how well this gets into the story. Now we don't actually, I think, get into the lab until you know a half hour into the movie. So we'll it'll be a a month or two before we actually get to talk about that. But so far we know we've known Steve for the last minute and about forty seconds in the movie theater before he's in his first fight and. I mean, think about how much we know about this guy. How much more do we need to know to know that he's ready to get into the suit? Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's what we're really getting here is this is a person who's who is willing to stand up for what's right. There are people in this theater that are clearly being affected by the images they're seeing on the screen. He's not going to take it. He's not going to stand there and let this person just keep screaming. And so, yeah, he he verbally says, hey, you want to shut up? Like, at first time, he, he's trying to be kinder. Mm-hmm. Hey, you want to show some respect? He kind of whispers it. But mm-hmm. then when he says, hey, you want to show up? shut up? And this guy stands up. This is, uh, I should mention, this is credited as Loud Jerk, played by <laughs> Kieran O'Connor. Fantastic <laughs> fantastic name. The, the movie is very good about like when they're naming these these um these supporting characters, these bit players, like 4F Doctor because he gave him a 4F. Loud Jerk because he, this is the guy being a loud jerk in the movie theater. I love that they're doing that. Um but so that's Kieran O'Connor. Uh who is huge. That's the other thing. When he stands up, it's just this shadowy voice in the theater, but when he stands up, it is this menacing guy and that's another strong point here, because oftentimes you have a situation like this where the menacing dark figure stands up, and it puts that person in their place, and they, they're now the one who's quiet, but not Steve. He's going to go into the alley and fight this person. I don't know. I, I, I love how that sets it up. Curtis, what are your thoughts on, on kind of this setup for Steve? When he stood up,
2: it reminded me of Biff from Back to the Future. Uh, (laughs) and and it's just those you have those visual tropes like this is you automatically understand that this guy is like a meathead kind of a guy Uh, not because of what he was saying earlier but just because they've they've made him look menacing in a kind of a bumbling or imbecile kind of a way and uh um yeah, I think it's it's just fantastic when he gets to stand up and we have this scrawny Steve and he just doesn't know what he's doing. But it's like, I'm sure he's thinking, if only the 4F doctor could see me now.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I love that. I, I think that look is great. I For me, it was, I'm so glad you brought up. Uh, Back to the Future, that's not what I thought of. I thought immediately of um, Spy Who Loved Me and Jaws, uh, the, the oh. reveal of Jaws's sheer size on the train. And and, and those those sorts of sequences, those tropes are, are super handy shortcuts yeah. uh, that we get here to see this monster in front of us. And then such a quick cut to that first punch, knocking Steve down, which I think is just chef's kiss. Uh, perfect, taking us toward the end of the minute. Totally.
0: And, and Steve's not the person who's going to, uh, take a hit and just fall down. I mean, he gets, he gets punched into the kind of the corner, immediately scrambles back up. I mean, he's never, he's not even trying to swing or defend himself. He's just, he's there ready to kind of stop the bully is really what he's doing. And he's going to keep standing up to him. He takes those two punches. And then at the very end of this minute, we get that fantastic moment where he, he grabs the lid of the trash can as he's stumbling up and spins around. Uh, I like to call this shield Mark one. It's just uh, the perfect, the perfect first shield usage that we get of him. And it's a great, I mean, the trash can lid is full of concentric circles, which very much looks like the shield. I mean, it it is perfectly designed to kind of give us that that early nod in the film.
1: And I love that that was his big idea, especially that what we find out in just seconds is that it doesn't work very well. It's a really bad <laughs> idea.
2: <laughs> in the comics, they, uh, yeah. it is an insult that a lot of the villains will say that he's has a trash can lid that he's holding trash can. Lid, so. <laughs> oh,
1: that's funny. That too. That's yeah. funny.
0: I only have one other thing for this minute. I just wanted to mention the music uh, during the newsreel. Um, The first is a piece called Sable and Spurs by John Philip Sousa, which is a very kind of militaristic, uh, patriotic sort of march. The second, though, and I find this very interesting, it's actually a a piece of film score from the movie The Bad and the Beautiful, composed by David Raxon, and it's actually called Newsreel March. So it's actually newsreel music composed for a movie that uh, clearly is used in this film and probably other movies when we see newsreels. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. Uh, Do you either, Curtis, do you have any last thoughts with this one? Um, So this scene with with Steve, the last minute and this minute,
2: uh, I watched with my kids um, a few years ago as we were going through the Marvel Universe, kind of leading, uh, this is actually a number of years ago now, because we were watching them all so that they could see Infinity War, in the movie theater, it would have been their first Marvel movie in the theater. Oh, gotcha. so we're going through all of these movies and they're eight. And, uh, you know, maybe seven, seven to nine or something like that. Like that's their age. And I didn't really have to explain a whole lot of stuff to them with these, the movies that came before this, there's a few odd instances of, of explaining, but when we got to this scene and we take it for granted just because of our education or whatever. We know what 4F stands for and we know about movie newsreels and why the guy's yelling for a cartoon and stuff. But I actually had to, to stop and explain, you know, what does 4F mean and like, what is, why what is Steve signing up for? And, you know, place that all kind of in context because they had no idea. They don't know anything about World War Two. So I found that interesting that this was kind of the first time uh, out of all the Marvel movies up to this point that I had to you know, stop and actually explain and it. I think it was necessary, especially because these are real world events that they're referencing, mm-hmm. that they have the context for why it's so important.
1: Now, I don't think we've even said 4F stands for, it just is a, is a military classification. It says you're unfit for duty, unfit for service. Yeah, uh, 1A would
2: the... mean that you are top of the line, ready yeah. to go right away.
0: Yeah, I I think those are the only two stamps that they were giving. Uh I mean I don't I don't know if they were evaluating people to quite that extent. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it was largely either the 1A or the 4F that they would Well, stamp. other classifications um, would be like this person can't go because
2: they have um responsibilities and it would be like 3G0 or something like that. You know, there are other classifications. But as far as your physical fitness, yeah, I think it was just 1A. Or 4F, and so when I'm watching Looney, I, I love Looney Tunes, like all of these classic animation from the from this era. I absolutely love. And um, small plug is I um, I wrote a book about Chuck Jones. It's called the the Dream That Never Was. And so when I when all of these cartoons have all of these references as well for uh 4f and 1a and they make jokes about that all the time and and i didn't know what those were growing up either i had to kind of look it up for myself so i was happy to be
0: able to explain it to my kids save them the trouble i mean it's interesting that you know I guess it speaks to the fact that that's part of the element of this being a period film, is that you know as kids they're more attuned to the real world around them. So when they're watching Tony Stark and and um, you know the Incredible Hulk, Bruce Banner. Thor, Jane. In modern times, there's less of that sort of stuff that they have to think about because it's not connected to something different. But this really is because of those elements that are elements of history that they really kind of need to understand a little bit so they can kind of get that.
1: Yeah. There are so many so many of these classifications. I had not looked up the actual (laughs) classification map. There are a lot of them. So many. Yes, there are. Yeah, Uh, that's a lot of stamps
0: Have So many stamps. This one, I mean, to the point that you were saying about for the physical um, as it relates to the physical um this form that he stamps does very specifically say right over the box four stamp one a slash four f so I mean yeah. at least we know on this form those are the only two stamps that are they're going to be putting into
1: this, and at the right. time, the only ones that they really were caring about when you 're standing in front of the medical officer right right, right <laughs> yeah, for sure
0: um I I don't think I have anything else for this minute. Um you know what was it Curtis do you remember your first time watching this in the theater? Did you see this one in the movie theaters?
2: Oh yes, I've seen all of them in the theater. Yeah. It was great. Do you remember it your f- do you remember that first time? Yep, yep, I do. It was it was fantastic, especially cuz I've made a point in trying to see all of these opening night and oh, man, at the end of this movie the crowd just went absolutely nuts. So it was just like <laughs> so good. But yeah, seeing this one um in theater was was fantastic uh i always i i have long loved the the rocketeer and never saw that one in the theater because i was too young i think but um seeing this one made me think about what it would have been like to see the
0: rocketeer in the movie theater
1: loved the rocketeer oh
0: yep me too there's something that that joe johnston does well when it comes to kind of that period stuff. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, he's a really interesting director. I, I love that he kind of came from the world of, of effects and everything. But I, I mean, my favorite movie of his is I don't know. I love October Sky. I think Jurassic Park three, I'm totally guilty pleasure. I love that one. Uh, I know a lot of people think it's one of the least of the Jurassic films, but I, I have a soft spot in my heart for it. But really, it's like you, you think of him as a director and pre Captain America, the Rocketeer stands out as the one that i mean jumanji made a lot of money the rocketeer wasn't a huge money maker but that seems to have like really clicked with people like so i know so many people who have such a fondness for that particular film and it it speaks to him in the period right yep
2: well i think it has a lot of the same themes of a guy that wants to do good and such and it's i don't know i think i personally just love the era so it's so that one just is like I, i i love watching movies like that
1: yeah he really i mean he just in the rocketeer he made captain america right just without the right language it's still about this underdog character who finds something that unlocks his inner ability to do good in the world and um it's it it just it just works as a as an artifact of history yeah
0: yeah yeah fighting nazis in blimps yeah
1: right (laughs) so
0: good oh it's so good it's great stuff all right, well, let's wrap this one up, unless either of you two have any last little thoughts or anything. I
1: just wish we knew, and I, I hope this is unlocked in the next minute, next week, but there he is, standing in the alley, the underdog, holding the trash can. Yeah. Will we ever know how long he can do this?
2: Yeah, no kidding. How long
0: is he going to be able to keep that up? <laughs> how long can he do this? <laughs> I just don't is? know. That's, that's a good question. We'll, <laughs> maybe we'll find out next week. We shall see. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Curtis, why don't you remind everybody one last time where they can find more information about you, your podcast, all that good stuff. If you head over to epicmarvelpodcast.com,
2: uh, I am there with a podcast about uh, Marvel comics, classic stuff. Uh, and uh, and I'd love to hear from you, your feedback as such. So you can leave comments there or, or on our various social media platforms. You can just look up the Epic Marvel podcast and you'll find me.
0: Fantastic. All right. Uh, well, We will be back next week uh, with minutes 11 through 15. Should be another fun week to talk about. So, uh, Pete, we'll talk to you then. Nice work, Timmy. (laughs) Until (laughs) next time, true believers.
1: Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.